The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman grew up in an immigrant family from Mexico. From an early age, she was exposed to what it was to be like to be an entrepreneur, and she knew she wanted to be one. In school, she was popular and loved being social, but she was also smart, and by the age of 16, she had already had 52 college credits. Speech therapy caught her attention, and this became her major in college. At the age of 22, she started her first company with a $100,000 loan. Over the next 14 years, she generated over $100 million in revenue from 17 startups in seven different industries. Today, she has turned much of her attention to philanthropy as she strives to give back to others. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Perla Tamez. Hi, Perla. Thank you for joining me today. Hi. Hi, Annette. Thank you for having me here and excited and delighted to share wisdom and my knowledge to the people hearing this podcast. Yes, and we have so much to cover today. So let's get right to it. You are very goal-oriented and driven but hear no way too often. How do you handle the no's when they come? Well, at this point in time, I think I'm in love with the word no. When somebody says no, it's uh, a knee-jerk reaction for me to go and seek five yeses for every no. And so sometimes it'll, I'll get the yes until the fourth try. Sometimes it just takes the second try. But I've, uh, I've learned to accept no as a way of, Maybe a a sign to tell me that I'm not ready for a deal and I have to better myself, take it as constructive criticism and go back and try it again. And so I allow myself five tries to find that yes to every no. And if you don't find that yes, what do you do? Do you redirect? Well, then that's the big red flag that something may not be right. And I have to completely reorganize and re-strategize my thought, my idea, my business, my big plan of what I was envisioning. And I, and I take that as a sign of maybe you're not ready, step back, redirect, and um, take a break. And focus and shutting out the noise from the world, which there's a lot of lately, by the way, is something you're very good at. Tell me what your trick is for being so focused. I think we're exposed to constant distractions, whether it comes from your home and what's going on in your family nucleus, number one, because that's where we hear them. So when we start from ourselves, right, going outward, we need to start with a passion. And so you go from the passion and then you need the world to come in tune to your passion, whatever the business is. And so the first level of distractions you're going to get is from your family, from your immediate family and home. And then from there, you're distracted by friends and colleagues. And then from there, you're distracted with all the noise of issues going on around the world. If you turn on the news every day, there's already a setting the tone to how you're going to get your day started. You might wake up brilliant feeling fantastic, ready to meet your targets, and you turn on the news and here you're having news of crisis going on halfway around the world with people, you know, trying to get on an airplane to get to a safe place. 
and that might set you back for the day. And so you're hearing distractions from the minute you wake up, you know, whether, for example, the dog did a mess in the living room while you were asleep. And oh my God, I was running to this bank meeting and now I have to clean the mess that this dog did. Those are distractions. So distractions are from the minute you wake up and that's why they start in the first level of distraction, which is your home. And so you have to learn to filter that. And the way you do it is not being complicated. Don't overcomplicate yourself because things are already complicated by nature. So if you wake up and your dog did a mess and you happen to turn on the news and there's chaos going around the world, you have to come some type of emotion less to those things. Because if you hang yourself up and, oh my God, the dog did a mess. Oh my God, I need to clean this up. Oh my God, people you know, are, are trying to get on a plane and they don't know what to do. If you already get emotionally hung on those things, there's no telling how your bank deal is going to go. You might be going in and want to ask for a million dollars and your pitch might be terrible because you just got distracted and you're not going to have a deal. And so the way I deal with the noise is be aware of distractions, welcome them in, but don't be complicated. Don't get hung up on them. Be emotionless and focus on your target. If you wake up, and your dog did a mess in the living room and tore up your favorite couch. Hey, see it with grace. Okay, let's deal. Nice couch. I loved it. I'm going to have to buy another one. Moving on. Let's go. Find a solution. Oh, my God. There's people that are across the world. They're super hungry. They're trying to get on a plane. Okay, God, give them will to find their way out. Thank you, God, for making me blessed and having a home. Let me get out the door. Oh, my God. They stopped me and I got a ticket. Okay, let me get the ticket. Thank you so much, officer. I was going you know, full speed, give me the ticket. I'm moving on. I'll pay the ticket. Let me get to the bank. That's your target. So as you go on your day, you're going to bump into hurdles, deal with them with grace, accept them, find the solution and move on. Because if you wake up and you have four hurdles before getting to your million dollar pitch and you get hung up on hurdle one, guess what? You're never going to get to the pitch. And that happens every day. There's distractions every minute. It's life. Deal with it, take it with grace, accept the problem, whatever the problem is, find a solution, move on. Next, 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 next. That's how I deal with noise every day. Now, you said something I'm going to expand on a little bit because you told me before, and you just mentioned it again, that you aren't very emotional and that you told me you do deals like a man. So, what advice would you give to other business women about their emotions and doing business? Because women are already marked in society as being too emotional. Yeah, we're very emotional. And um, by nature, I think that I could say that we victimize ourselves. Oh, why is this happening to me? Oh, it's because I'm weak. Oh, it's because, you know, and, and by nature, we have hormones, estrogen, that makes us very hormonal that men don't have. So by nature, I may have more emotional estrogen, hormonal issues than you, for example. So I need to know, every woman needs to know where they set emotionally so that they find hacks against their emotional issues, right? So I know what triggers my emotions. I know. I know that I can't feel a challenge because I'll put up to the test. And so I find hacks to not find myself getting into those kinds of situations that could cause me to make a decision 
based off probably my ego or rage. Do you understand? For example, other things that deal that mess with my emotions, family. You can't mess with my family because I'll be enraged. Or if we talk about, for example, one of my parents' sudden death, that it could happen anytime, I'll start crying. And so I don't get close to those kinds of emotions. I know what triggers Perla. So my nugget of advice to every woman out there, know yourself first. Know what triggers you and cut off those emotions because when you're in business, you can't be getting your emotions triggered because then you make decisions that are altered by emotions and maybe they're not the best of decisions. So know yourself and then find hacks for controlling those emotions that you know that in a cold mind, you wouldn't have had that. So test yourself. If you wake up, In a closed environment, there's no noise. There's just basics. And you get on a phone call and everything is perfect because you're controlling the environment. And you made a great decision that made you get a brand new client that's going to bring a million dollars a year, for example. Then you know what is the controlled environment in which you make the best decisions. So then... Analyze yourself and say, well, in my regular day, when I wake up with my daughter that's running late to school and she's in a bad mood, when I wake up and my husband wants breakfast, when then I have to feed the dog and then I have to stop and put gas and then I'm getting late to school and then I still have to get to my office and then I have issues going on with employees. Those are the distractions. So these emotions cause Perla, for example, that was me. To have these kind of altered decisions rather than if I was in my controlled environment. So study yourself and analyze yourself how you should act and how you act the best. And that's how you hack your own complicated emotions. And I think that's brilliant wisdom and brilliant advice because when we get into that emotional state, we often forget that emotions are contagious. So when we go into a business, our business or a business situation at all, and we're emotional, it's good if you're enthusiastic and passionate because that's a good emotion and that gets transferred. But if you're anxious and insecure and angry, those also get transmitted and that's not so good. And not only that, if you're the leader in your organization, if you have a leadership role in your organization and you are dancing with these emotions on a daily basis. See, because my idea is that you dance with these emotions. Today, I wake up super energetic. I'm dancing with that emotion. But then if I get a call and they kind of make me upset, now I'm dancing with an angry emotion. And maybe that's making me anxious. And so you dance with the emotions, right? So if you are dancing with emotions of anxiety, of anger, of low temperament, you are going to pass those emotions on to your managers. And from your managers, you're going to make those emotions go from them to your bottom line people. And then you start building a company culture of toxicness. Six months later, probably your rough patch has passed, but you're dealing with an organization that is anxious, that is into gossip, that is uh, defiant, that's not wearing the company t-shirt. 
And little did you know that you were the company leader that embedded those emotions into your company culture six months ago. I've been in situations in 14 years, I have had to remove myself from my companies three times. And I have removed my company from my company three times as a CEO because I know that I'm redlining. One time I was going through financial battles because the state put us in a tough situation when they gave us rate reductions up to 80%. So I had a lot of things to juggle. I was on a mission to overcome this. I didn't want to let go. I was fighting. I was in an aggressive mode every day because I had to fight to rescue the company, right? So when I was going through that, I would only meet with three people in my core team. I didn't meet with managers. I didn't meet with staff because I didn't want to pass them my anxiety. I couldn't. So what I would do is I would only meet with my top three management and I would tell them, you're going to hear me and you're going to hear me rough and tough and mean and aggressive because I have to rescue the company and I have to make ends meet. But after I have this meeting with you, you go and get a massage and you relax before you meet the other managers. They cannot have a sense of nothing that is going on with me as far as my emotions because emotions filter. But when I would come and meet with the troops and tell them, guys, we're pushing forward. We're going to make this happen. I'm re-strategizing. I'm reorganizing. I would make sure I would wake up with a coffee, no distractions, no noise, straight into the meeting with them so that they would get the energetic perla. And now I can tell you, it's been eight years since we had that very tough changing times for healthcare in the state of Texas. We are one of the largest companies standing for rehab in Texas. Off the Office of Inspector General of the state of Texas, only one out of every 10 rehab providers survived these tough changes, and we're one of them. And so you have to take care of your team. Another time I was going through my divorce, I had to step back from leadership because I couldn't handle my heart. I was going through an emotional situation, but that had nothing to do with the company. So I had to deal with my ego and I had to let the reins go for the sake of the company. And so as leaders, you have to know, you have to self-check where you're at emotionally because you are the heart of your organization and you are the one that sets the tone for the culture of your company. So in that space, I'm going to expand on that just a bit. Do you think that uh, women lead differently than men? Most definitely. Women lead with a heart. But the heart that they lead with is usually accompanied with their baggage of emotions. So how those women feel in their everyday lives when it comes to friends, family, educationally, uh, perspective of how they feel of themselves, how they feel their self-worth, how confident they feel, how loved they feel, how powerful they feel. All of that buffet of emotions will be the average of the heart that they're putting into the company. Mm -hmm. And you don't think men take all that baggage with them. No, 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 no. I have witnessed men going through a divorce and you'll never tell a difference. 
than a woman going through a divorce and leading the organization. I have seen men going through a financial crisis and still show up to the office, well-dressed, well-groomed, pushing forward. And I have seen women going through a financial crisis in the organization and you start debilitating on the way you dress, on the way you speak, on the way you um, have eye contact. It's different. Us women take those things much more harder and it's harder for us to mask those things than a man. But it's very dangerous for us if we don't learn how to deal with those roller coasters in our life because it is a very much a man-controlled business world still. And they aren't comfortable with that expression at all. At least I have found that to be the case. If a woman businesswoman comes in and is venting or is emotionally tanked up, they shut down. They don't want to deal with it. They don't know how to deal with it. They back off. So this is something for all you listening to dig into some resources. You'll find it on the worldsgreatestwomen.com site or different places, but do look for things to help you navigate this. So when women are strong and driven, like yourself, they often intimidate others. So have you been accused of this? And if so, how do you deal with that so it doesn't derail you? Well, I think that you just, um, you intimidate with grace. Intimidate with kindness. Intimidate with elegance. Intimidate with being caring, right? I have seldomly been accused or I guess um, projected of being intimidating. Usually, they say, Perla is super nice, super welcoming, super funny. She's intimidating because yet she's so successful, so powerful. She just comes in the room and she's super humble. And uh, she can sit on the floor or she can sit on the chair. And so I encourage the powerful women to walk in the room, but intimidate with your heart. It doesn't matter how many dollars you have in the bank account if you don't know how to have a heart, if you don't know how to treat people. And so I usually don't get intimidated on the bad way, you know, like the infamous kind. I usually obtain my friends by intimidating with charm and love and grace because I'm funny and, and I even make fun of myself. You know, I'll be laughing and then I'm like, oh, my God. You know, when I was in this meeting and then my extension started, you know, like coming off, oh my, you know, make fun of yourself. We're not perfect. We're not robots. We're human. I cry like anybody else. I do things like anybody else. It doesn't matter how much money I've done. What matters is the lessons that I've carried and been through in these 14 years and that I have a heart to accept that as much as I have been successful, as much as I could dare to be unsuccessful, if I don't take care of my journey. Right. Exactly. Very good. Yeah, I love that. And that's going to take me into a little different space because you're a Latino woman and you mentioned that you grew up with a message of struggle. So tell me about this and how do you think this messaging shapes the way other Latino women show up in the world? 
you know, Hispanics, Latinos, we come from rough backgrounds. Our heritage, our ancestors come from Latin American countries that have had a rough upbringing because they were brought up in the revolution of Mexico, because they came from Cuba, because they came from Venezuela that became a dictatorship, things like that. So you'll hear those stories in the mix of these Hispanic women. And when you're small, up to the age of six years old, everything that gets registered in your mind up to six years old, you know, when they say kids are a sponge, we really are sponges. And that becomes the basics of the formation of who you will likely be in your adulthood and how you will likely act, sense, feel, think, opinionate in your adulthood. And so, for example, I came in my background from a family of agriculture. As much as I can trace back 200 years, we have been in agriculture. Nobody in my ancestry has done nothing else than agriculture. So imagine coming from 200 years of planting the earth with corn and sorghum. When my parents wanted to step out of the box, it was like, what are you doing? We don't know how to do anything else. You must stay in the ranch and plow the earth, right? And so my parents, when I would hear conversations, my parents were hitting that ceiling of exiting the box of comfort so that I would listen to my grandparents' rejections. What are you going to do in California? You're going to go into the United States? Well, go do agriculture. This is what we know how to do because this is how we're safe. This is how we eat. So there go my parents as immigrants to California. And my dad hated it. He said, I'm not going to do this. So he started seeing buildings. He started seeing expressways. He started seeing different vehicles. He said, hmm, there's another life beyond what we're seeing in Mexico, Sandra. Let's start a business. So coming to L.A., they would see a lot of Chinese businesses, Korean businesses for shoes, for clothes, for things like that. But then they missed family. And so coming back to South Texas, my mom said, I'm going to open up a small business of shoes. So these are the stories that I would hear when I was five, six, seven years old. So when you hear this struggle, when you are listening to should I do a business? Should I do agriculture? Which is what my family's done. Should I take a risk? No, no, no. Don't take a risk. The grandparents are saying, don't take a risk. We've done fine in agriculture. So when you hear these conversations of struggle, those stay embedded in your DNA. Those stay in your brain. Should I stay in this business? No, I'm going to do what everybody's doing. Because what if I don't have food to eat tomorrow? My grandparents say you have to stay doing this. And so these conversations, I have heard them repeatedly over and over and over again from my Cuban friend, from my Venezuelan friend, from my friend in Mexico, from my friend in Uruguay, you name it. We have those struggles because we're an up and coming race. We're coming. It's selective the people that went on from that kind of a background to education. And those that were born into an education They'll climb into education. 
But the number of those people are very, very far and few. And so a lot of us, the up and coming generations of people that are already in their 30 years old, you still carry some of these struggling conversations. And those are things that make us doubt. And that's a little demon that we have to fight with on a daily basis, pushing the ceiling. I'm, mo I'm moving up. I'm going up a level. I'm going up another level. Should I do it? Am I right? Am I going to fail? Am I successful? And so that's what Latinas, that's what we struggle with every day because you're pushing the barrier of what your ancestors did and you're scared because you're alone and you're outnumbered. And so when we come to the U.S. or when we're in the U.S., for example, I was the out of 61 students in my executive MBA program in UT Austin, top 10 ranked MBA school in the U.S. I was only one out of two Mexican-Americans, first-born generation Americans and educated. I was outnumbered. You know, all of my colleagues were already second and third generation educated. And here I am, first-born generation American and educated with a master's degree. I was scared. I was outnumbered. And I was, I would always self-doubt myself in accounting class. Oh my God, can I learn this? Can I learn calculus? Can I figure out stock market? It's too much for me to handle. I've never heard of the stock market. My family was not in that. And so when you don't hear these things in your family, when you're growing up, you self-doubt yourself. And that's the struggle that all Latinas and Latinos, we deal with because we're first at it. We're breaking barriers. And this happens to some of the other cultures as well. And I'm glad that you brought this up because me sitting here as a woman interviewing you that is a white woman that didn't come up with those types of struggles. Now, certainly I had struggles. I was raised on a farm. We didn't have much money, so on and so forth. But we didn't have the kind of struggles that your family had. We didn't come from another country to come in and didn't speak the language and all these other things. So I think it's good for our listeners to hear this and to recognize that the different melting pot of cultures we have here in the U.S. and in other places of the world, that if we think about where those roots started, we might have a little more compassion and understanding of how to help those roots grow. So, Perla, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? I think that the most important thing I will go back and say is know yourself. Know your weaknesses. Hang around with people that strengthen your weaknesses. And in order to get there, you must dance with your ego. Because humans, we always want to be right. And we always want to do good by nature. So to accept your weaknesses, it takes a while. But I will tell you, the faster that you conquer that, and you accept your weaknesses, and you're proud of your weaknesses, your strengths will rise because you have acknowledged that you're very good in A and B, but you need help in C and D. And so when you go and find a team, because you can't do nothing alone, you will find a team whom you will recognize that their strengths come and support your weaknesses. Deal with your ego as fast as possible and put the reins on your ego because that is your number one detention barrier to success. I agree with you 100%. And that's true if you're male or female, for sure. 
Thank you so much for taking time. I know you've got so many things going on and you're a mother trying to get your child in school and you've just moved and all the things that are whirling around. But I really do appreciate you being generous with your time and your wisdom. And I just am so appreciative. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you taking time to put up this podcast together and take your time to interview great women around the world to get to share the nuggets of knowledge because there is no better network than the human network. Yeah, and that's for sure. And Perla is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds. 